But then somewhere in his childhood, things changed. We don't know exactly when, other than we know that it was in his childhood. And this father begins to observe that his son is no longer like every other child. That there's something different, something has happened. He now begins to see his son, his only son, have these convulsions. And, okay, the first time you're like, all right, that's kind of weird. But now this pattern is developing. He, it's not just minor convulsions, but it's seizures that become stronger and stronger over time to the point that he, his son is seizing and he's foaming at the mouth. He's writhing on the floor. He's grinding and gnashing his teeth. I can only imagine that this father is just watching helplessly. All of these things take place. Like, I don't even know what to do. You know, and we think today in the 21st century, we have pretty good health care. There was nothing like that back then. I mean, yeah, there were some doctors that could maybe take a look, but they weren't going to be able to do a whole lot. So as this continues to happen, it becomes apparent that his son has become possessed by an evil spirit, a demon. The convulsions and the seizures, they continue. And whenever this demon seizes the boy, the boy starts to let out these terrifying screams. So imagine the household that you're living in where you're seeing your son do this, and now it's accompanied by these terrifying screams. So what is life like? The father might be just out in the backyard or just a short distance away doing some things in the field, and he hears from the house his son let out this blood-curdling scream. What does that feel like? Or if it's the mother, she could be just washing cups and plates right there in the house, and, and just behind her, at, at, in a sense, the drop of a hat, all of a sudden, her son just screams, this blood-curdling scream, terrifying. And you never know when it's going to happen. It's not like, oh, I'm seeing an indicator, here comes a scream. It's just, you're doing stuff and you're startled into what is going on. Imagine the agonizing, gut-wrenching pain that he and his wife experience every time they hear this. And this father sees his son being ravaged and destroyed by this demon right before his eyes. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, Mark talks about this same story, and he adds a few details that he felt were important. And one of the things that he writes in verse 22 in Mark chapter 9 is that the demon often has thrown this boy into fire or water to kill him. So this father is watching his son suffering from this condition, this possession by this demon, and seeing that his son is being destroyed. Like, this demon is trying to throw him into the fire and get him completely burned. Or if they're by any type of water, he's trying to throw him into the water so that he can be completely drowned and just destroyed, killed, gone. How would that be as a father to watch this? And Mark also points out that this has been happening since the boy's childhood, which leads some scholars to believe that at this point, this boy is a teenager, somewhere in his teens where he could be dealing with this, which means that he's been dealing with it for a number of years. Five, seven, ten years, who knows how long this has been going on. So imagine the fear and the worry 
and the pain that this father has experienced day after day, week after week, year after year. And just, what do I do? I can't do anything. This just continues to happen. So he and his wife had to keep their eyes on their son constantly. It was a nonstop job. Imagine that, 24-7, nonstop, you are having to monitor your child. And I know some people have to do that. Even today, there are people who have to monitor their child and their health and, and, and those types of things. And in this case, it's for fear that the demon would be, actually be successful in killing their son. So imagine, too, how isolating the situation would be for this father and his wife. Because they had to constantly monitor their son, they probably didn't get out very much. They took care of necessities as they had to, but it was usually, all right, I'm going to go to the market to take care of what we need to. You need to stay behind. You know, there wasn't probably a lot of alone time for this husband and wife. They were probably a little bit more homebound than most families. And even when they did get out in the community, I would imagine that most people would just ignore them. They were going to steer clear of this family. They probably even shunned them. Like, I don't want to deal with that. The community probably would know that this father and wife were the parents of the demon-possessed boy. You know, that was probably the type of label that had there. And it would have been difficult to hide that fact, especially if the child is screaming, these blood-curdling screams from the house. I'm going to guess that most parents were not going to want to set up playdates with this family. Right? It wasn't that they were they didn't want to have or allow the demon to have the chance to rub off on their little Jeremiah. It wasn't like they were going to, you know, be around or want their child to be around because in the off chance that the demon sees the boy while they were playing, all of a sudden lashes out and, you know, hurts their little Enoch or something like that. So not only do these parents have to worry about their son's safety, but they also have to suffer through it isolated and alone. And so after years of experiencing this, I can only imagine to begin, or begin to imagine, that this father is at his wit's end. He's been greatly concerned about his son for now a number of years, probably fried, probably tired, just worn out. And he likely fears the worst, that at some point, the demon will be successful and kill his son. But then he begins to hear rumblings and stories about this man named Jesus. And he hears that he's going around all the countryside, all over. He's healing people who are sick. He's causing the blind to see. He's casting out demons. And he's just, in general, helping people in their situation. And I, he probably begins to wonder, maybe, just maybe Jesus can do something. I've, in a sense, I've exhausted everything else. I don't know what else to do. So he says, Let's try it. I'm going to seek Jesus out and see if anything can be done to heal and deliver my son. So it's here that we enter the story. We finally, after all that, we get to Luke 9, 37, 38. And what I find interesting is that this father said, I'm going to go find Jesus and I'm going to cry out to him. I'm going to try to get his attention and see if he can do anything. We have no idea what the level of faith was for uh, this man. We don't know if he believed, if he was a pagan, if he was a strict Jew. We have no idea. But he heard and he said, I'm going to give it a shot. 
I don't know, but we're going to do this. And so on hearing that Jesus was in the area, he went to go track Jesus down. And the funny thing is, he heard and said, oh, I'm hearing that he's over in this direction. Well, so did this huge crowd as well. They went along too, and they're like, we want to be around Jesus. Let's see what he can do for us. And it's above all of the clamoring of the crowd that he cries out. And he says, as he gets to there, he finds that Jesus' disciples were there. But just a few of them. Like I said earlier, Jesus and Peter, James, and John, they were up on the mountain. And they were starting to come down. But he came, comes to the disciples, the nine that would have been there. And he says, well, maybe the disciples can do something for me. He says, hey, do you think you guys can take a look at my son and just see if you can cast out this demon from him? I've heard that Jesus can, but I don't see him anywhere. And so what we learn is that each of the disciples, or collectively, they try. They, they try to you know, heal this young man, uh, get rid of the demon, cast him out, but they aren't successful. We don't know why. We don't know what exactly transpired, but it didn't work. And so, again, imagine this father. He's at wit's end, and the disciples can't do anything at all. He's still in this condition. My son is still having these problems. What do I do? And so it's at that moment that we see Jesus, Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain. And the crowd begins to get all excited, like, yes, Jesus is here. We get to be around Jesus. And above all of that noise... Above all of that, the father is probably thinking to himself, I have got to do this. I'm going to give it a shot. I don't know if he can because his disciples couldn't. So maybe it's not going to work here. I don't know, but we're going to try. And so above the clamoring of the crowd, the father cries out to Jesus, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Please, please. Please take a look at him. I don't know where else to go. And he explains his son's condition to Jesus. Somehow he gets Jesus' attention. He calls out to him and he gets his attention. And Jesus turns to him. And they're able to dialogue and they get to work through this. The father persisted until he got Jesus' attention. He likely had tried many doctors and spiritual leaders, but to no avail. And even, again, when he arrived, his disciples weren't able to do anything to help. But he persisted until he got to Jesus. He took the steps that he needed to make sure that he got in front of the one who would be able to do it. Now, we learn from Mark's account, he wasn't entirely sure. He didn't have perfect faith, but he did go after Jesus. And he passionately pleaded with Jesus with every shred of strength and emotion that he had left. He begged Jesus And notice this, just to look at my son, just cast your eyes on him, and maybe something will happen here. I don't know what, I don't know what you're going to do, what you can do, but I'm going to ask that you do something. He didn't give up. He called out to Jesus for his help. And for me, at least, I think this can be a a great thing for myself to consider and all of us. Because in America, we have many things that have been established that are, are, have come along quite well. We have great medical care. You know, we have doctors and nurses and medical teams that are equipped to handle many of life's issues. Can they solve them all? No. 
but we've advanced to a point where they're able to do a lot. And so we have the blessing of modern medicine here in America. And oftentimes, we can just rely on that. Uh, We can have an abundance of psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists who can help us sort out the emotional and the mental issues that we face. They can help in many ways. We have financial experts and advisors who can give us advice on money matters. How can we best budget? How can we invest? All those types of things. And there are so many of these kinds of areas that oftentimes, oh, I'm just going to go to them to help me with this. I'm going to go to this doctor to help me with this, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not despising any of that. But I have found for myself that I can often ask or forget to ask Jesus to intervene in the situations that I face. So since our oldest daughter, Elise, was born, we've gone pretty much to the same pediatrician since she was born. Um, We've lived in Wauwatosa, we've lived in Menominee Falls, now we live in Grafton, and we continue to go to this pediatrician. And he's great. Um, And when they were younger, as it is with most young families, you go through the bouts of flu and respiratory ailments and whatever, and it's not just that one child will get it, all the children will get it, right? Sometimes it even passes on to the parents. Yay! Um, but we, we get those things, and we would take them to the doctor. He would give us the diagnosis. He would say, here's what we need to do to treat, or you just got to ride this out. Fine. Um, and even though I appreciated him and what the nurses would tell us, there have been times when I thought, I wonder, did I just lack faith? Did I just not? Because I would give the, the, I'll say, the flippant prayer of, Lord, just help my child. And maybe it was quick, maybe it was effortless, maybe it was truly heartfelt. But sometimes you just, I find that, at least for me, sometimes I'll go to the doctor before I go to Jesus. And that that can be good, but I also want to be, and Jesus, or Jesus first, and then the doctor. Um, and so I've, I've often asked myself, what if I would have persisted to call out to the Lord to heal one of my kids and not even have to go to the doctor, but Lord, just heal them of this fever, heal them of what they're going through right now. And I've not mastered this yet, but I'm learning more and more to just be persistent and go after the Father. Or go after what Jesus would have in that situation and cry out to him. And so in addition to going to find Jesus and then crying out to him, the father brought his son along and ultimately brought his son before Jesus. Which I think is a a pretty remarkable thing. The father wanted to get his son to where Jesus was with the hope that Jesus would look at him, heal him, set him free. But again, if you think about kind of the -the behind-the-scenes details that probably would have been a pretty rough endeavor. We don't know how far he had to go. We don't know if this was a short distance or a long distance. But I would imagine that it was not very easy to transport this son, who at any moment could have a convulsion, begin to foam at the mouth, let out this terrifying scream just as they're traveling along. And what do you do? How how long is that going to be? How long do we need to ride this out? So I imagine it took a lot of effort to get his son there, but he knew that is exactly what he needed to do. Like, I need to get my son before Jesus. 
to see what Jesus can do. And after explaining the situation to Jesus, Jesus told the father, he basically just said, bring me your son. Let's do this. Let's take a look. And I think this father shows us what every single one of us should do when we're faced with a trouble of any kind. We should bring them to Jesus, whatever it is. And I want this to be like my first reaction as I, as I go through life. Like this is the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it to Jesus. As fathers and mothers, uncles and aunts, grandpas and grandmas, when we're faced with troubles about our children, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, we should bring them to Jesus. When as adults we're faced with troubles with finances or anxiety or health or relationships or house or car, we should bring them to Jesus. And as a quick little side note, this was a very big uh, illustration for me just last night. So yesterday we had a graduation party for uh, a family that we know through the school. And then we had to go to my nephew's second birthday party. So we had been running around and we were at the graduation party with two separate cars. We just took the one car and then we were going to come back and get it later. So we come back later in the day and come to the car. I start to drive and I should know that I need to do this more. But as I start driving, I, you, you know how you just sense something's not quite right? So the tire was flat. And um, I'm like, I need to turn back around and go take care of this. Well, here's the deal. Over the last probably 18 months, I think we've had five flat tires uh, on different vehicles. And yes, I hate flat tires. I remember having to deal with this in high school and college. So I'm, I've always prided myself that I was good at changing flat tires. Not a skill that you necessarily want to excel in, but at least I could do it. Well, over the last 18 months, every single time that we've had a flat tire, there's been one issue or another with trying to get the stinking tire off of the car. It just will not come. One time, the lug nut broke, and it, I could not move it. It just, it just spun right there on, on, on the stud. Um, and I'm like, great, I'm going to have to deal with this again. Or another time, like, I know you pull the, the tire off. Like, that's kind of one-on-one. The tire would not come off at all. So I'm having all these flashbacks, and I'm like, great, what are we good? Well, I know what I need to do, but I know it's that same, like, tire. It's this right rear passenger tire. I don't know what is in that thing, but it does not want to come off. So I'm there last night. I've got all the lug nuts off. I was like, thank you, Jesus. All the lug nuts came off. Um, but then I got to get the tire off. And I'm pulling, pulling. No, it's not working. And so I remember someone had come along the one time, and they just kicked, were kicking at the tire. He's sitting on the ground just kicking, kicking, kicking. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I can do that. You know, I've got still relatively normal legs. Um, I should be able to do this. So I'm kicking, kicking. It's good five, seven minutes. That tire has not budged one minute or one, you know, one minute millimeter. So all of a sudden I had that thought and I'm like, thank you, Holy Spirit. I said, what are you preaching about tomorrow? Oh, let me just cry out to Jesus in this moment and bring my problem to him. And so I did. And I just said, and here will be also the example of where I'm at, I said, Lord, I just asked that you'd help this tire to come off. And I said, I do have doubts right now because that's just where I'm at. 
And, but I'm just, Lord, help me with that. But help this stinking tire to come off. And so, like, thank you, Lord. And whatever happens, we're just going to move on. And so, do that. And it's probably two, couple minutes later, I've jacked the tire up. All right, maybe it needs to be a little higher. Brought it back down, you know, whatever. I kick in one area, no, no budging. And I'm like, all right, let me try up here. So I go, all of a sudden it shifts. Thank you, Jesus. My wife has just pulled back into the parking lot because she's like, my phone is dead, of course. Um, So she pulls back in and right as she pulls in and I steer out of the corner of my eye, it goes, and it comes off. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. She's like, how's it going? Well, I just got the tire off. So praise the Lord for that. So that's kind of that example that I... Like, wow, that's just going to be a great illustration. Um, But when we're faced with troubles, no matter what they are, as simple or as dreadful as that tire, we can just bring it to Jesus. And in this case, it worked out great. It was in his will that the tire came off. Doesn't always happen. You know, I, I don't know why sometimes the prayer will immediately tie with the, an immediate response. Sometimes it doesn't. I wish I had the magic answer or the powerful answer. I don't. But what I do know is that I can continue to come to Christ. And I will trust him that no matter what, I know that he is able. And so that's the beauty of it all, that we can bring our problems to Jesus as often and as persistently as we need to. Um, And here's what I know. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us, uh, and Peter was directed to invite each one of us as believers to cast all your anxiety on him, him being Jesus, because he cares for you. We don't have to stew about it alone. We don't have to go through whatever our trial or trouble or struggle is. We don't have to go it alone. He is there with us, and he just wants us to call out to him. And sometimes sometimes we can do it verbally, sometimes it's in our minds, and sometimes we just subtly will just wait on the Lord and know that he will help us. We don't have to stew on it alone. Another thing is that we don't even have to have perfect faith when we bring our troubles to Jesus. Because like I just said, I've had 18 months of history where this stinking tire does not want to come off no matter what I do. So I've got the doubts like, great, here we go again. It ain't happening. I don't know what we're going to do, but it ain't happening. So we don't have to have the perfect faith. But again, in Mark's account of the story, he provides another tidbit. And Jesus there tells the man that everything is possible for him who believes. And the man immediately responds and he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Like, I believe, but I also know that I'm, it's not great. Like, it might be right here, and I know it needs to be here. And so I'm going to believe, even though I'm feeling kind of fragile. I'm not sure. I'm uncertain. So it's one of those things, I know that you can do this. So whatever his level of faith was, he did ask Jesus to help him to overcome any and all unbelief that he had. So even though our faith is weak, we still can bring our problems to the Lord, and he's gracious enough to work and intervene. And sometimes it is quick and instantaneous, and sometimes it's going to be this long process. We don't know why. And I feel ashamed to admit this, but there are, like I said, there are many times when I don't feel like I have faith. Like, 
you're kind of at wit's end, and faith is maybe one of the things on the bottom of the list, even though it should be at the top of the list, and I know these things. But sometimes we just have to rest in him and say, Lord, I do believe, I know that you can, but I've still just, I've got doubts, so help me with that in the midst of all this as well. Help me to have a faith that grows and is vibrant and is active. So even though my faith is important or imperfect, I can hold on to the truth from Ephesians 3.20, where Paul writes that because of Christ's power, he is able to do immeasurably more than I ask, than what I think, than what I imagine. Like, I don't know why God will act in certain ways at certain times in response to certain things. But I know that he can do things, and he can do things that I don't even think of. And when, on, on the back end of those situations, I'm like, wow, that was ingenious. That was awesome, God. How did you ever think of that? Well, I'm God. You, you know, that's it, and not in any weird way, but just like God is so amazing that in those situations, we can see him at work. So more and more, I find myself just turning my attention to Jesus and what he can do, what he might do. Wow. <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so I, I try, imperfectly, I try to follow the encouragement from Colossians 3. And this is probably one of those you know, people have life verses or they say they have life verses. This is one that constantly kind of marinates in my mind where he just says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above instead of where here on, on earth. Like, so I try to do that, um, if I remember. I, I try to do that where, Lord, I want my heart and my mind to be where you are at, knowing that you can and that you will. And again, I wish I could say that I was perfect at this. I wish I could even say that I'm good at it, but I'm not. But I'm learning day by day to bring everything in my life to Jesus. And I love the example of this father who brought his son to Jesus because he said, this is, Lord, this is the situation that I'm facing. This is the problem that I have. I need you to intervene. And what I love then is that at the back end of this, at the very end, the father's response to what just happened. So after Jesus has now done the work, after he's healed him, the father joins in. And in verse 33, it says that they were all amazed at the greatness of God. And I think so often I can forget to just give thanks. So last night I did. Give thanks. It's like, thank you, Jesus, because now I can go home. You know, but thank you, Lord, that this tire came off. Thank you for whatever is going on. When Luke writes that the crowd there was amazed at this miracle, I don't know. I have this crazy suspicion that this father was probably the loudest one. I can imagine him going around and just going up and stirring up the crowd. Like, did you see? This is my son. He's healed. Like, this is the miracle. He's done a great work right here. My son is no longer writhing and convulsing. He's no longer foaming at the mouth. How awesome and cool is that? 
and when we can do that in our own lives, and we each are going to react in different ways. We're, but when we, if we can come and we can worship the Lord in our way, I'm a music guy. I will probably bust out into a song. Okay? Like, there are all kinds of old choruses that I can draw on, and my kids will attest to this. I might even change the words to a pop song and just make it fit. And my kids are going, you know that's right. Like, but whatever your thing is, worship the Lord in that way. However you can express your thanks and gratitude to him, do that. Because when we can do that, and we can enlist others to come in, how powerful is that? So if you need to write a poem, if you need to make a video, if you need to, I was going to say spray paint, but that's probably not a good idea. Um, If you need to draw something, you know, whatever your gift is, if you need to go change Pastor Mitch's tire, because that will be how you can do it, come on. Whatever it is, give glory to God on the back end of what has just happened. Because I have found myself that when I do that, you know, how much more connected to the Lord do you feel in those moments? And I've, I've found myself just over the last little bit thinking of different things where the Lord has intervened in my life. And I've thought, how have I forgotten that? How have I forgotten this great thing that the Lord did then? And it's almost like it's ancient history, almost like it didn't happen. And so I want to get to that point where I'm just continually grateful for what God has done in my life. And hopefully we will respond like this when Jesus intervenes in our situations. And can I meddle for a minute? So this will be perhaps the challenging moment. But if you remember, Superintendent Davis came a few months back and he, he broke in the middle of his sermon and he said, Can I meddle? Can I meddle for just a minute? Because I think one thing that we can do, and this is probably where the family environment comes into play, but what if we, what if you and I, invited our children to join in with us in all of this? What if we brought our child or our children into all of this and modeled it for them? What if, you know, as we have the issue and we've got something that we bring them along with us in trying to find Jesus together. Like, we need to go and cry out to Jesus. Let's do this as a family. Let's bring this request to the Lord. Let's bring our troubles to him. And I'll be one of the chief people to say this. That's not always easy because it causes me then to be a little bit more vulnerable and show my children, okay, here's our problems right now. (laughs) Here's the issue that we're facing. And that can, you know, we like to shield our kids from a lot of that. And there are probably age-appropriate ways to do that. Like, you're not going to tell your two-year-old, we're bankrupt. (laughs) Okay, let me go get my dolly. Uh, But I think if we can come alongside and just say, kids, let's just pray for Jesus to help us. We We need help with whatever it is. I'm just, I'm feeling blue. Uh, we've got this issue at work. Uh, to see, ha- help them to see that we go to the Father and we ask him for his help. What an amazing thing that could be. And then, 
after they've been praying with us and, and, and being a part of that, what if we celebrated together? You know, like, even if it's just we, we're verbalizing, hey, guess what? Jesus did this. You know how we prayed that um, your uncle would be healed because he just suffered a major injury and now he's healed? That's pretty incredible. I don't even know why I'm emotional about that. I'm just going to say. But what if we model these things for our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our neighbors, whoever it might be? And the beauty is that whether we've done this in the past or not, we can start now. It doesn't matter. You know, you may have walked in today and said, my level of faith is like right here. I'm really having a hard time to believe that God can do anything. But if we can start there, bring our children, our families, uh, our, our friends all together in this, what could God show us through that? How amazing and incredible it is. Even if we're imperfect and we're bumbling and we just don't feel good enough, God can do some amazing things and we just allow him the opportunity as we just invite him in as we go and we find him and seek him out and cry out to him, as we bring our problems to him, we can see some amazing things. And then on the back end, celebrate how incredible he is. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, my hope through this simple message is that our eyes can be turned simply toward Jesus again. That no matter what we face, we can turn to him and know that he can we can give it to him and bring it to him and we know that he can do things that we won't even conceive. We face troubles, we endure struggles and they might be huge life issues like this father faced. They might be normal run-of-the-mill issues that people face every day. A flat tire, it's not a huge deal. But in anything, we can just say, God, I give this to you and I ask that you would have your way. And I'm just going to continue to trust you. So no matter where on the spectrum these issues fall, let's do that. So even if we feel helpless or without much faith, we can turn our attention to him and see what he will do to intervene. And at some point as he intervenes, we can be then amazed at what he has done. So Lord, we just thank you that you are good. We thank you that, like we said earlier in the service, you have lavished so much love on us. More than we can even comprehend. And Lord, on this day, we just pray that you would just encourage us this morning, wherever we're at. Help us to continue to turn our attention toward you. Whether we face big life, crazy issues, or it's just run-of-the-mill, normal, everyday things. Help us to just bring them to you and say, God, we want you to intervene. We want your will to be done. We want you to have your way in this. Let this be a model and a pattern that we can follow so that we do turn our attention to you, that we set our hearts and our minds on things above where you are at, and that we can just see you at work. And so, Lord, I pray for each person in this room, wherever they are at, 
that you would speak to them, that you would continue to just show yourself as faithful, as true, as powerful. You know each person in this room and every single seat in this uh, sanctuary, and you know exactly what they are going through and the things that they are dealing with. And Lord, we collectively bring each one of those individual needs that you are seeing right now to you. And we ask that you would just look upon each son and daughter in this place and intervene. Whatever the situation, whatever the heartache, whatever the trial, whatever the problem, Lord, we know that you can do anything and that you will do things that are beyond our imagination, things that are beyond what we can think or even ask for. And Lord, today, we just ask that you would intervene. Bring healing, bring provision, bring restoration bring renewal. We pray that you would do all of these things in each individual person's life as they are needing it right now. I thank you that you are a great and mighty God. We all do. We thank you that you are true to your word. We ask that you would be with us now as we leave this place. May your will be done.